Chester, would you uh, would you confess to a crime you didn't commit? No, I didn't think so. I can't imagine any circumstance where you would do that. But in our story tonight, we have a man who is trying to get the attention of his wife, who has just left him, because he feels like he is so insignificant and so inferior that he has to do something to get her attention. And it's an interesting story. Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This is Tuesday, July 27th, 2021. And on Tuesdays, we play an old time radio drama. And we have a humdinger today. We have an episode of the Hollywood Star Playhouse. And this one features Mel Ferrer, William Conrad. Harry Bartell's got a little part in it couple other voices that are not given credit. Actually, Harry Bartell's not given credit either. I just recognized his voice. But it's a pretty good story. Pretty good story. And you're going to uh, be told this story through the eyes of this little confused man by the name of Steve Harker. It's a pretty good story. I think you're going to enjoy it. We're happy to have you along. It's good to see you all. So, all right, you ready to go? Here is Mel Ferrer and William Conrad in the Hollywood Star Playhouse production of Exhibit A, as first heard November 11th, 1950, on CBS. Mr. Mel Ferrer on the Bromo Seltzer Hollywood Star Playhouse. Bromo Seltzer presents Hollywood Star Playhouse. Tales of suspense, thrills, adventure by Hollywood's finest writers with Hollywood's top stars. Portions of this program are transcribed. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Herbert Rawlinson. Welcome to the Bromo Seltzer Hollywood Star Playhouse. Have you ever served on a jury? 
Has it ever been your dread responsibility to help decide the guilt or innocence of a fellow human being accused of a crime for which the penalty is death? Then listen, for tonight you will be a juror by proxy as Mr. Mel Ferrer creates for you the unforgettable role of Steel Hawker in Exhibit A. Newspapers called it the Blonde Torso Murder, and it happened shortly after 2.03 a.m., one lonely, windswept night, when a girl, a blonde girl, alighted from a bus at a deserted stop. Hundred headlines later. We'll wait in here. I'll unlock the handcuffs so you can be comfortable. Thanks. Will it be long? Shouldn't be. Judge was sleeping when word came that the jury had reached a verdict. But he said he'd be right down. The lawyers are here already. Cigarette? Well, no thanks. I got the shake so bad I'd... I'd probably burn myself. <laughs> funny, huh? Yeah, funny. Mind if I sort of walk up and down? Just so you don't try anything. Are you crazy? Why should I try anything? That jury's going to let me off. An hour from now, I'll be a free man again. As free as the day I walked in and confessed. Yeah. It was a phony confession. I'm not guilty of murder. You know that if you were at the trial. Look, Harker, you don't have to go into all that for my sake. No. No, for my sake. You see, it makes me feel better to talk. Always was a talking kind. Only it wasn't very often that people would listen. The only person who ever listened to me, what I mean, really listened, was Helen. Helen, you know, is my wife. Nothing about me makes sense unless you understand about Helen. If it hadn't been for her, I'd never have made that phony confession. You see, she left me. It wasn't the first time. But always before, she'd come back real quick. But not this time, see? A week passes. Two weeks. Three weeks. And then, one afternoon, I'm walking down Broadway. I don't know why it is, but... I never feel so lost as when I'm part of a crowd. This afternoon I had it specially bad. Because of Helen, you see. I walked along saying to myself, I'm a nobody. I'm a nothing. Everybody else counts. Everybody else is important. No wonder Helen left me. Even if it hadn't been for the argument, she'd have left me. If only I could make these people notice me as a person, as a living human being. If only I could get Helen to come back to me again. If only... That's when it hit me. The answer. 
the answer to the whole problem, my whole problem. How to make people notice me. How to get Helen back. Yeah. Steve Harker get himself into the headlines. All right, sit down. Well, uh, I don't know if I ought to talk to you, Lieutenant. The captain happens to be busy. You say your name is Harker? You can check it in your files if you don't believe it. I've been run in a few times. Oh, what for? Different things. And now you want to see the captain about the blonde torso murder, huh? That's right. You see, I'm here to confess. Oh? Maybe you didn't hear what I said. I'm here to confess to the murder. Well, go ahead. Sit down and confess. See, what's the matter with you anyway? The whole police force is breaking its neck trying to find the killer, and you sit there like... Like I've been like... through all this before? Well, the fact is, Harker, I have been exactly 11 times. You make an even dozen. I know all about those other confessions. They were phonies, every one. Weren't they, though? You know, Harker, there's nothing a homicide man hates worse than a confessing Sam. Uh, what? Confessing Sam's sort of a trade term for guys like those other 11. We get them in droves every time a sensational case like this comes along. They like to get into the headlines, like to see their pictures on the front pages. Why tell all this to me? If you don't want my confession, you don't want to solve this case. Harker, I'm just trying to explain why the captain can't give you his personal attention, so why not give me a break? Well, yeah, that's more like it. Now just sit down and make yourself comfortable. I'll call on a stenographer. You'll see, we'll make it just as legal as if the chief himself were taking your confession. <laughs> I like that part of it, about the girl taking down every word I said. And this Lieutenant Dunham, his name was, stopped being so bored after a while and really began to pay attention. But after all, if I do say so myself, I always did have a great imagination. Ellen always claimed that what I made up could be more real to me than what actually happened. <laughs> anyway, this time I'd figured out a mighty neat story. All right now, Harker, all right. For the time being, let's skip all about how you much you missed your wife and get back to the night of the murder, huh? Sure. Well, like I said, ever since I'd lost my last job, Helen had been working in a restaurant. Nights. Get off just in time to catch the last bus. Well, it's, it's pretty lonely out our way, so I got into the habit of going down to meet the bus. Mm-hmm. And on this particular night... What particular night, Harker? The Thursday after Helen left me. Thursday... September 28th, it was. Huh. I turned in early, but around 1 a.m., I woke up. Next thing I knew, I dressed. I was walking down to the bus stop. See anyone on the way? Not even a car passing by. That's how deserted it was. Well, just as I reached the corner, the bus stopped, and this girl got off. Ever see her before? I, I don't remember. You see, Helen was the only one that got off that bus. But this is the funny part of it. That girl... In the pale light of the street lamp, well, she reminded me an awful lot of Helen. An awful, awful lot. So? So? Well, bus pulls away, see? And the girl starts walking. Well, almost without knowing it, I start walking after her. Well, she starts running. By then, I'm sure it's Helen. Maybe she hasn't left town. Maybe she's living somewhere in the neighborhood. I gotta talk to her. I gotta explain how much I miss her, how much I need her. So I'm running after her, and she's screaming. I know if I don't stop her, stop her quick, somebody else will come running. Well? Do I have to tell you everything? Everything. 
All right. I, I had my hands around her throat, keeping her from yelling. When I saw it wasn't Helen after all. Well, that made everything that much worse. This girl would tell on me, give my description. Then I'd never be able to get Helen back, never. And I had to have Helen. So, I made real sure she was dead. How? You know how. With a knife, of course. A knife. What knife? The knife I brought along. Why should you bring along a knife? I said, why should well, you bring... Give me a chance to... I got it. Yeah. I'd been asleep before I started for the bus stop, remember? Had a terrible dream. Somebody jumped out at me from somewhere with a knife. Well, Helen always said I let dreams upset me too much. Anyway, when I started for the bus stop, I brought along the knife. Satisfied? Where is the knife, Harker? Huh? Oh, I... I ditched it. Where? Can't remember. I had to get away from there so fast, I had to get rid of it, so I threw it away. You haven't got the slightest idea where? Of course not. If I had, don't you think I'd tell you? All right, one more question, Harker. Yeah? What kind was it? It was what? The knife. Why, it was a hunting knife. A hunting knife with a six-inch blade. Bought it in one of those war surplus stores. Get out of here, Harker. What do you mean, get out? Listen, in every murder case, we always hold back something from the newspapers or deliberately let them guess wrong. So that when the confessing Sams come in, we'll have something to trip them up with. You didn't trip me. Not until you got to the knife, the hunting knife with a six-inch blade. You read that in the papers, Harker. To think that I was on the verge of sending with the captain. Lieutenant. Now shut up and get out of here. Get out of here before I commit murder. I don't think I've ever hated anyone more than I hated Lieutenant Dunham right then. Now I was right back where I'd been before. The empty days. The nights that stood still. No, I couldn't go back to that. I had to find some way of getting past the lieutenant. If only it hadn't been for that knife. Knife. Of course, that was the answer. The murder had been committed with some kind of a knife. What if I was to find the knife? Oh, no. Lieutenant. Harker, when you left my office last night, I checked your file. They've got you down as a psycho. A more or less harmless psycho. Probably don't remember half of what happened yesterday, but so help me. Just a minute, Lieutenant. So help me, Harker. If you're still here 60 seconds from now, I'm going to turn you in for obstructing justice. They'll give you 90 days. About the knife, Lieutenant. Harker, I'm sick and tired. What about the knife? It was a butcher knife. Hollow ground with an eight-and-a-half-inch blade. Who told you that? Nobody told me. They didn't have to. I've got it right here under my coat. See? No. Now who's a confessing Sam? Not Steve Harker. I just happen to be the real murderer. You sure the judge hasn't come yet? I'll be notified the moment he does. The jury can't render a verdict without you being present. Uh, 
Seems so long, though. Ten minutes at most. Since you started telling me your story, why don't you keep on talking? Well, where was I? Oh, yeah. The knife. Well, when Lieutenant Dunham saw the knife, he started making calls. Lots of them in a low voice I couldn't exactly hear. Then the top brass of the police department began to arrive. <laughs> Even the chief, mind you. And then Dunham had me start at the beginning again and tell everything. And this time, nobody interrupted. Then, we just sat there, with everybody just looking at me and looking. Why, when the lieutenant's phone finally rang, they almost jumped out of their skins. Dunham speaking. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay. The lab... Stains on the knife of blood. Everything checks. Oh, I was a somebody then, all right. <laughs> what a somebody. Still makes me blink to think of all those flash bulbs going off in my face. And the reporters crowding around just to gawk. Me, Steve Harker, have been such a nobody. <laughs> I felt like bawling. Yeah, bawling. It's the way I've always been when something happened the way I wanted to. But I didn't bawl. I played it straight. I did everything the way they expected me to. The way I'd always seen killers act in the newsreels. Only I... I added a few touches of my own. Like looking down all the time. The way a little kid does when he's awful ashamed of what he's done. That always worked with Helen. Except at one time, of course. But now when she saw those pictures in the papers or in the newsreels, it had sent her back to me just that much faster. I knew it would... Because I knew Helen. It only took three days. And there she was, sitting on the other side of the wire barrier. Hello, Steve. Helen. Oh, Helen. Don't, Steve. We have so little time. Took you three days, Helen. That means... Yeah, you must have been in Chicago. With your cousin? Yes, Steve. Uh Uh-huh. I think... Yeah, I'm sure I wrote your letter there right after you left home. I wrote your letter everywhere I thought you might have gone. Did you read it, Helen? I wrote in how sorry I was and that you were right about me never really trying to hold on to a job. That if you'd only give me one Steve, more chance... Steve, please, I've got to find out what about a lawyer. A lawyer? For the trial, Steve. Have they given you a lawyer yet? Because I've already talked to the one you ought to have. He's expensive, but I don't want the court to assign you a lawyer. He, he mightn't handle it just right. Helen, you can forget about lawyers. I don't need one. You've got to have a lawyer, Steve. Otherwise... Well, anyway, this one I talked to said if you were to enter a plea of... of Insanity. (laughs) Insanity. Fine thing. Spending the rest of my life in a booby hatch. Oh, this lawyer, Steve, he said it might not be the rest of your life. He said that after a few years, maybe... Helen, listen. If you'll just give me a chance to tell you... No, don't, Steve. What's done is done, but I couldn't bear to have you tell me about it. I haven't even read the papers since that first day. To think that you love me that much. Oh, Helen, if it wasn't for you... If it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be here now. I should have stood by, helped you, watched out for you. I'm the one who's guilty, Steve, far more than you. I should have known. Helen! Shh! Listen to me, will you? Helen, how could you be guilty when I'm not guilty? I didn't kill that girl, Helen. I made up that confession. Yes, Steve. You don't believe me. Well, sometimes you... you forget things. But I didn't forget this. 
I mean, I made this up. You'll see. Tomorrow this time I'll be out of here. We'll start all over again. You give me one more chance. Won't you, Helen? Won't you? Uh, yes, Steve. Of course. She still didn't believe me. Helen, my own Helen. Ah, but then the poor kid was so upset. Probably hadn't slept a wink since she'd read about me in the papers. For the first time, I was almost sorry I'd done it this way. Except, what other way was there? Anyway, Helen would believe quick enough when I walked out of there a free man. Sure, the thing to do is see Lieutenant Dunham and get the thing over with, once and for all. Hello, Harker. Lieutenant, I got news for you. Bad news, as far as you're concerned. Better brace yourself. Go on. I, uh... I'm calling the whole thing off. Oh? Well, you don't seem to understand. What I'm telling you, Lieutenant, is that I played you for a sucker. That confession I gave you is phony. So, go on, get sore. I guess I'd be sore myself if it was the other way around. But I had my reasons. Believe me, I had my reasons. But, well, blow your top... Let's get it over with. There's one thing you don't seem to understand, Harker. I've been expecting this all along. Huh? So why should I blow my top? But... But if you knew it was a phony confession... That's not what I said. I've been expecting this all along. Expecting you to repudiate your confession. Well, it's... It's the same thing. Is it? But if I admit I made it all up... Say... What are you up to, anyway? Justice, Harker. The ends of justice. In other words, your conviction is the blonde torso murderer. You're bluffing. You're just trying to scare me. Get even with me for making a sap out of you. You know that without that confession, you got nothing on me. Nothing would hold up in court. How about the knife? Knife? Well, I can explain about that. You see? You better save it, Harker, for the trial. I'll be seeing you then. I want a lawyer. You can't frame me like this. Just wait like I get a lawyer. <laughs> Helen got me the lawyer, all right. The expensive one. But not expensive enough, I guess. Because if I'd had the right lawyer, he'd have sprung me. Why had I been out of there that same day? Well, I couldn't blame Helen. She couldn't even afford to pay for this one. So I tried to put up with him. To get along with him. Look, Harker, if you haven't even got an alibi for that night, the night of September the 28th... But I have got an alibi. I was in the apartment, I tell you, asleep in my bed in the apartment. Yes, yes, I know, but how are we going to prove it? The other tenants... Two of them will I swear that tell... you came in around 8 o'clock that evening, but nobody will swear that you didn't go out again. And that's what we need, proof that you didn't go out again. Well, let them prove that I did. They haven't got a case against me. They've got the knife, Harker. But I can explain that. It's simple. Dunham kicked me out the first time I tried to confess because I guessed wrong about the knife. So I said to myself, I've got to bring in the knife. Parker, you've told me this at least a hundred times. Well, I'll tell you again. Then maybe it'll sink in. Trouble with you is you don't listen. But the jury will. All I have to do is explain to the jury that I know that whole neighborhood. Inside out and upside down. So I asked myself, where do you suppose a murderer could have ditched the knife? He wouldn't have taken it with him, that's a cinch. So he ditched it. But Where? The police looked and looked, but couldn't find it. They even dragged the sewers and culverts. Where could it be? And then it hit me. Yeah, you remembered a lamppost not far from the scene of the crime. A yeah. lamppost that had lost a little door in its base. And you went there and stuck your hand inside the base, and there it was. Yeah. 
Now, could anything be simpler than that? Harker, as your lawyer, I have to consider the possibility that they won't believe that's how you found the knife. But, but that's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. If I was a murderer, would I bring the knife to the police? Answer me that, Ellison. Would I bring the knife to the police if I was a murderer? Would I? Would I? You know, Bailiff, right up to the morning we went on trial, he wanted me to change my plea. Wanted me to add not guilty by reason of insanity. But like I told Helen, I would only weaken the case. I'm not guilty, period. It's as plain as, as that knife. That knife marked Exhibit A. Say, what's keeping that judge? Any minute now. Well, I guess he didn't expect a verdict the very first day. But I did. I knew it wouldn't take the jury long. That's it, Harker. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. Silence. Or I shall order the courtroom cleared. You have reached a verdict? We have. Will the defendant rise? You will please read the verdict. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty as charged. You see, you see, I said all along that... Guilty. Oh, no. No. Silence. Silence. I order the prisoner remanded to custody until November 13th, when sentence will be passed. Court adjourned. Steve. Steve. I'm sorry, Mrs. Oh, please, Harker. bailiff. All right. I'll make it quick. Steve. Helen. They said... Guilty. But... But you know I'm innocent. Don't you, Helen? Don't you? No, Steve. Helen. The knife, the minute I saw it, the nick on the handle. I knew you had killed her. It had to be you, Steve, because... It was our knife. Our... And... And I thought all along I'd... I'd made everything up. Well... What do you know? Mel, that was great. An exciting story, excitingly told. Thanks. It was a pleasure, Mr. Rawlinson. I'd like to say thanks right now to Bill Conrad, if I may, who played the part of Dunham. Thanks, Bill. Mel Ferrer appears through the courtesy of RKO Radio Pictures, whose current release is Where Danger Lives, starring Robert Mitchum and Faith Domerg. Tonight's play was written especially for Mr. Ferrer by Maurice Zim, with music composed and conducted by Jeff Alexander. The entire production is under the direction of Jack Johnstone. And now here is the star of next week's thrilling story on Hollywood Star Playhouse, Miss Rosalind Russell. It was all wrong, terribly wrong. I'd left New York one pleasant day in 1950 and arrived three hours later in Pennsylvania in the year 1863. How? And why had I driven 87 years into the past to murder a man I'd never seen? It was insane. Or was I? Yes, Rosalind, drums of yesterday should be an exciting experience for next week's play. 
On tonight's program, all characters and incidents were fictitious. Any similarity to actual characters or incidents is purely coincidental. Portions of this program were transcribed. And now this is Herbert Rawlinson saying goodnight for all of us here on the Hollywood Star Playhouse and for Bromo Seltzer, the fast, effective headache help in the familiar blue bottle. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Well, did you see that incoming? That was a bit of a surprise to me as I listened to it. I knew that it could go that way, but I kind of thought it was going to go another way. That was Mel Ferrer, who for many years was married to Audrey Hepburn and uh, was was a very um, productive actor, had a lot of roles, especially in the 50s, late 40s, and on into the 50s. I would like to hear that next episode with Rosalind Russell going back in time to kill a man. Ooh. That sounds like a really good one. Unfortunately, that particular story, that particular episode is not in circulation. Nobody has a copy of it. So if you happen to have a copy of it in your file someplace, please let us know. Because, man, I'd love to hear it. That was Hollywood Star Playhouse, and that was originally aired on CBS on November 13th, 1950. everybody that's going to kick things in the head for tuesday this is july 27th 2021 hope you enjoyed that episode of hollywood star playhouse we will be back tomorrow with our old time radio mystery and we'll be back on thursday with a western thought i'd go out tonight i'm tired of trying to find songs from 1950 that we want to listen to so i got thinking about uh, Something came up in conversation the other day about when we used to be out cruising. Ah, if you were a, a product of the 60s, a kid in the 60s, a teenager, uh, cruising was a very, very big part of life. And that extended into the very early 70s. And I just put together a short compilation of segments of songs that we used to listen to as we would cruise down Hollywood Boulevard bumper to bumper with all of the other kids from Southern California, everybody with their windows open, going about three miles an hour down Hollywood Boulevard, and the music was just permeating. You could just hear from every car and every kid. And here are some of the tunes that we would hear wafting through the air. (sighs) What a memory. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me.
mean she forgot all about the library like she told her old man now. And with the radio blasting goes cruising just as fast as she can now. And she'll have fun. She'll Ticket for an aeroplane Ain't got time to take a fast train Lonely days are gone I'm a-going home My baby just wrote me a letter I don't care how much money I gotta spend Got to get back to my baby again
to stay out all night long She made me cry, she done me wrong She hurt my eyes open, that's no Oh.